For Tuesday, March 31st, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Georgia's response to fighting the coronavirus has been somewhat piecemeal. Top officials have left many decisions about how to respond up to cities and counties. It's always hard going into it to know if you're overreacting or underreacting. Only time will tell us if this piecemeal response really just prolongs this or makes it worse than it needs to be. Dr. Colleen Kraft, infectious disease specialist and researcher at Emory University, talks about that approach, how her hospital is preparing for the pandemic, and what she learned about infectious diseases working with Ebola patients. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Figuring out how to safely triage possible COVID-19 patients, finding the space to put them, then thinking about what that means for non-COVID patients. Those are just a few of the preparations happening at Emory University Hospital, where Dr. Colleen Kraft is Associate Chief Medical Officer. She was also on the Emory team that took care of Ebola patients back in 2014 and is currently a member of Governor Brian Kemp's Coronavirus Task Force. Just a few of the things I hope to discuss. Dr. Colleen Kraft, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. I'm happy to be here. So, In your role as Associate Chief Medical Officer, talk to me a little bit about how you've been interacting with the COVID patients that are are coming into y'all's care. Yes. So I've been interacting through a number of different uh, levels. So I, as a hospital administrator, I've obviously been thinking about how we keep our entire healthcare worker um, force safe. We have a whole incredibly talented, incredibly dedicated infection prevention group here. And so as much as I can support them, I try to do that as well, since I am also an infectious disease physician. Uh, I have been involved in trying to figure out how we're going to cohort these patients in the hospital. So one of our strategies here at Emory University Hospital is that we are putting all the patients that are suspected or confirmed to have COVID-19 on one place. So the nursing units and the nursing staff are all very familiar with what they need to be wearing and doing in each of these rooms. It also allows kind of business as usual in other parts of the hospital, which we're finding right now as we build up to a higher amount of these patients is probably really important just for uh, sustainability of of our workforce and just the exhaustion factor. And and talk to me a little bit about that that transition to kind of taking those patients maybe from a more general population setting to maybe a COVID-specific ward. 
what do you have to, to think about? What do you have to do to make that happen? You know, that's really funny that you say that. I just finished um, call this morning from being overnight. And so I got about 15 calls of people that were admitted. And what we do here is that somebody comes into the emergency department, for instance, they have an influenza-like illness, right, which is just very generic, and they will get worked up in the emergency department. And then what happens is the emergency department actually calls a COVID pager, which is assigned to both an infection prevention person as well as an infectious disease physician. And so we work through them where the patient needs to go. A lot of it is really to quell fears. You know, the main, main thing we want to do is have our, our healthcare workers feel safe while they're here. And so we spend a lot of time, as we're opening new units for these COVID patients, we spend a lot of time making sure everybody's on board and feels safe and comfortable and taking care of these patients. There has been so much focus as these numbers rise at the capacity of our nation's healthcare system to deal with with the surge of patients. It's something that Governor Brian Kemp has said on multiple occasions, that's one of his largest concerns. Do hospitals have capacity? Let's maybe break down what capacity means for your hospital. Is it the number of beds? Is it the number of ventilators? Is it is it staff? How do you think about, about that capacity? Yes. So I think about it from all of those infrastructure ways. And actually, that turns out to be some of the easiest planning that we're doing. So we can figure out how many staff we need. The other thing that we're working hard on is prediction. And so that, to me, is really the hardest part. So we can think about staffing. We're thinking about infrastructure. You know, we've stopped um, elective surgeries, which, of course, is a big moneymaker for any hospital. But the goal is to try to drop our census low enough that we're not scrambling and overflowing with patients as we get hit by sort of the peak of the outbreak uh, in Georgia. We're also working on the number of ventilators that we have because these people come in and they are really sick. And sometimes they don't even look bad and they're very sick. Uh, like they might have a severe pneumonia and they can still be sitting there talking to you. And then, you know, five minutes later, they're actually getting intubated, putting on a breathing machine. And then what can we do with other patients in our in our hospital? Could they be sent to potentially a lower acuity hospital that we partner with? So trying to think about all these creative ways to like in, improve patient flow, which is difficult, improve the prediction of our personal protective equipment, which I think is near impossible. That's something we don't do. We're so used to having all of our shipments come in on time and knowing exactly how much we use a day and how much this, this ward uses versus this ward. It's, it's all very sort of rote and it happens the same all the time. So now trying to get our materials management individuals to sort of start thinking about prediction. So why don't, you know, predicting on what we have today, because we don't know if that shipment is coming or not. You don't have to look very far, at least on social media, to see lots of different graphs and charts that predict a lot of potentially different things. What models do you personally use, do you like, and maybe are those the same models that, that your healthcare system is using when it comes to predicting what a surge might look like and, and when that might show up? Yeah, so I, I've gotten to the point where I sort of roll my eyes a little bit on these models because I think it's really hard to know when it's coming. I think what we're using the models for is to really keep ourselves on task, to continue to just think about that surge, or, or we called it yesterday a super surge. So when are we going to just be completely overrun and this is all we're going to have in our hospital? Or we're going to have so many people in every ICU that 
you know, we have to start putting people in, in non-traditional places like the recovery area from anesthesia or from the operating room or other like larger rooms would we just outfit it to be have like just a room full of ventilators so we're trying to scale it we're using the models to basically pressure ourselves to trying to have the correct plans as best as we can but it's really hard to know especially if it hits if it's high for like a long period of time or a short period of time all those things you know change very much what we do and so we kind of use them as sort of a theoretical sense and, again, just to kind of pressure us into to making, try to make good, fast decisions that are going to be something we can implement instead of waiting for the crisis to happen and try to solve it then. Based on your background working with Ebola patients, both as, as a clinician and kind of in, in, in the lab setting too, what did you learn from that experience that, you know, you think might have value dealing with the coronavirus pandemic? Right. So what we learned was really how to kind of perfectly take care of somebody without transmitting it to healthcare workers. But the way that we did that was utilizing a biocontainment or containment model. So basically, you have a small, small group of people that are very highly trained. You use very rigorous personal protective equipment protocols, and you kind of keep it, keep it in one place so you don't let it go anywhere. What's been my passion since Ebola is really try to figure out, and COVID-19 will show us a lot about how we can do healthcare innovation in such a way like using human factors, using better workflows. You know, I think we're even going to understand better our supply chains after this. And so I think there's just a lot that can be done that we thought we learned quite a bit after Ebola, but this is just at such a greater magnitude that there's a lot more to learn. One of the many hats you wear is as a member of Governor Kemp's coronavirus task force. The governor has taken a certain amount of fire from not issuing any kind of statewide shelter-in-place order. Um, is that something that, that, that we need here to ensure some kind of consistent response, county to county, city to city? Yes, I think that, you know, especially in our country, there's an intense focus on economic development. All the things that we're talking about, even if you think about the way that we're trying to run our hospital right now, are all sort of against that model. And so I think it's very hard for us all as a country and as a nation, as individuals, to really balance that because we think if we're okay right now, then it's going to be fine. But having that sort of imposed shelter in place concerns people at times. And so I, I just think, you know, there has been pressure. I think he's done a declaration that he feels like sort of balanced all of the opinions. But what we're finding, especially in the microcosm of the hospital where I'm working, is really that we make these decisions with the best inf information we can, and then we keep we might have to change or, or remake them depending on new information that comes in. Well, sure. And, and, and just to maybe pull that out a little bit, if, if you don't mind, I mean, you mentioned earlier on that Emory University has kind of shed elective procedures. Um, that is a financial driver for the hospital. I mean, it's no secret that all hospitals you know, make money on certain procedures and lose money on others. Um, but but you've said your, your, your organization has kind of made that financial risk in preparation for this potential surge. In a larger public policy way, is that financial, um, you know, is putting the financial consideration aside what needs to be done here? Yes, absolutely. I think in a perfect world, you would want everybody to just stay at home so you could know you know, you kind of make it a bigger ask than, than it maybe even needs to be. But the point of that is that so people realize that it's severe enough to be taken seriously, right? So it's just easier to say, don't do this. And then if people kind of cross the line a little bit, it's not a big deal, right? Versus, you know, making it sort of in between. And that's always very hard for people to interpret and understand, like, what that actually means to them. And so I don't know that it's been a very 
I mean, we're trying to balance all of these things, but uh, I think it's also been difficult because, you know, there's a wide variety of population, at least in Georgia. And so while I think urban Atlanta really understands because we're all in close proximity to each other, I think areas that are, are farther out, um, you know, feel less threatened by this. And so therefore don't don't see how it applies to them. And so I think it's just, you know, trying to balance all those ideas uh, is very challenging. Sure. And even thinking about what's happening here in Metro Atlanta, we've had, you know, it was just this last weekend that Gwinnett County, where, where my parents live, where I grew up, issued any kind of shelter in place order. So it just seems, um, I mean, and this is generally just gets to this kind of piecemeal response. I mean, is, is a piecemeal response effective? Yeah. So it just depends on where the pieces are, I suppose. I do think that we're going to learn a lot more about thresholds as we walk through this kind of peak time that's that's about to be upon us about when we would do things. I think, you know, much like the snowpocalypse that we had, right, where, you know, they sort of, as the snow was coming, we decided we were going to do something about it, whereas then every time after, you know, if there was a hint of something white in the air, we would shut down everything. So I think it's always hard going into it to know if you're overreacting or underreacting. And I think only time will tell us if this piecemeal response really just prolongs this or makes it worse than it needs to be. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.